0: Welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with leadership and career coach who partners with purpose-driven rising leaders to create the careers they really want and lead their way. He's the author of the recently released book, The Career Design Map, and you can visit contemporaryleadership.com to learn more about working together with Dan Freeling. On today's podcast, we'll be chatting about mistakes people are making in their career strategy. A Very well-welcome to the podcast, Dan Feeling? How are you today, Dan? They're well, David, how are you? Wonderful. Okay, let's get this started. So where are you right now on
1: planet Earth? So I am in Boston, Massachusetts, in the, in the States.
0: Okay, I make everybody jealous. So what's the weather like at the moment?
1: <laughs> it is pretty nice here. This is a, a prime time for Boston. So we're, we're having a, a very nice sunny day right now. Are you in the 80s, the 70s, 80s, 90s? I think we're pushing into it, probably high high seventies, low eighties today. So oh. very exciting. And could you, I mean, we're we're
0: in Ireland at the moment. It's it's very hot as well. I'm not going to say usually hot because then the conspiracy theories will come out about everything else. But <laughs> it is very very warm, I have to say, at the moment. So can you let us know where exactly in Boston are you?
1: Yeah, so I'm in a neighborhood called Jamaica Plain. So it's it's a um, subsection of of Boston. That's a really lovely place to be.
0: But well, this is interesting. I said this to Dan before recording. I didn't want to tell him I lived in Jamaica Plain, Dan.
1: No way.
0: I did. Now this is going back now. <laughs> this is going back in the 90s where I was I was a soccer coach for a company. Um, and it was a lovely boss I had there. And we had an apartment that, that was organized by the company. And it was in Jamaica Plain. Now it could be totally wrong or right here. Was there a new balance?
1: Company making shoes nearby. Do you remember that? There, there, there is. Yeah, they've they've actually grown and expanded a lot, so they're they're pretty big now, and they have a, a large facility down on the Mass Pike. There you go. So it was it was uh, an interesting
0: time in my in my youth, so to speak. It was uh, it was good fun, and we did some coaching. Um, it was on the grounds of Harvard, and it was uh, it was there. it was in it was a is it Brighton. I was in. Yep, Bryan. right in um, yep,
1: right Cambridge,
0: over there the Cambridge, yeah. So it's. I just wanted to, to tell you that Jamaica Plain. I, I when when I read it in your bio, I was like, yep. Yeah, I I was there briefly. Yeah. So it's. Uh, had a, had a good old summer there. which is which is really good. Um, that okay, so funny, what a small world. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. When I seen it, I was like, wow, Jamaica Plain. So anybody from Jamaica Plain out there, hello. Um. So I gave a brief introduction about your background. So can you let our listeners know a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I run a uh, coaching practice called Contempus Leadership. Uh, We specialize in coaching particularly millennial leaders um, who are purpose-driven and already established as leaders and looking to reach that next level of growth and career enjoyment and finding out what they really want to be doing, how they really want to be showing up as a leader. Um, previously to um, running my own coaching practice, I was working for organizational consultancies and we would run um, leadership and organizational development contracts for federal clients here in the States. Oh, wow.
0: And and what, I mean, can you mention a federal clients?
1: Is that allowed? Yeah, I think that's allowed. So it's um, there's a there's an agency called USAID, which does a lot of really wonderful work. Um, basically the US's um, work overseas for international development. And um, we would we would hold uh, leadership development and organizational development contracts with them and be able to help out um, their staff and, and doing their jobs better and working better together as teams.
0: All right. Okay. Pretty cool. So what about then, the main topic of today is about having a strategy for your career and mistakes that people are making. So as simplistic as possible for an idiot like me, what do you mean in relation to career? What is a career? Because it's very difficult to know, I suppose, especially in today's world, I mean, you know about this more than what I would, um, you know, with loyalty and and you hear a lot of layoffs recently. In certain sectors like IT, even aviation, for example, due to the recent events of the last number of years. Um, so, what is a career? Then?
1: It's such a great question, and it's as you mentioned, it's really changing right before our eyes right now. So, um, it comes from the root. Uh, the root word is basically meaning chariot. So, it's this idea that it's it's what your vehicle is going to be through your professional life, and you choose it, you shape it, you create it. And it's what carries you through your professional journey. Um, in the industrial era of what we're what we're essentially leaving now, that was often you would work for one firm and you would steadily increase in level and role through that firm, and you'd retire with the same company. Um, obviously, that's been changing for a number of years now, and we're getting toward the tail end of when that's really fully changing into something that you have to self-manage and create for yourself, uh, rather than relying on an organization to do it for you. So you can obviously have loyalty to organizations and that's great, uh, but you really have to be looking out for your own interests in shaping this and creating it.
0: Right, and in terms of the career, I mean, are we specifically talking about, say say you're in one industry that you're gonna spend your whole life in that industry or is it a mix and match? You're just focusing on staying in employment, having the money come in and and kind of enjoying your job. Is that what we're trying to get at?
1: So that's, yeah, that's one way to approach it would be that um, you're just trying to basically work to live, keep your head down, stay in the game. And that's, that's great if that's what you want to be doing. I think increasingly more and more people are realizing that they have to be able to mix and match industries, job types, be constantly, Learning, growing, developing, and thinking much more strategically about their career than sort of that stay in the job, keep your head down, and, and just ride it out.
0: Right. And what about then, Dan? I mean, in your own experience, or you can say, answer this question, whatever you like. Do companies now want employees to stay 30 to 40 years or 20, 30, 40 years? Because the more they climb up the ladder, the more expensive they become. And this is me being quite cynical now. Um, th- th- do you feel that's what they want, or maybe am I seeing it totally wrong?
1: I, I think you're right in your cynicism uh, with a lot of this. So I, I think the you know the cynical read on it is that you know as as employees stay, the costs increase and all of that, and you get these companies where they're feeling like they have a, a bloated or too expensive workforce. I think a generous read on it is that. The world is changing so rapidly that it's it's really tough to predict if you're a if you're a company what you're going to be doing in ten years, much less twenty, thirty, forty years. And right. just thinking through what the what the um, hottest companies in the world were doing thirty or forty years ago, very very rarely are they the same. Um, types of things as, as what's going on now and what's hot now. So I think there's there's that read on it as well that there's tons of flux, tons of change, and also this idea with layoffs and everything that you can't be relying on a company to just automatically be great people and take care of you forever with without uh, looking out for yourself.
0: Right, and and the this term Dan that we're using, I mean, quiet quitting. What what is that in a most simplistic way? What does that mean or Is it people show up for work, or
1: (laughs) it's 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 kind of a social media buzzword in my personal opinion, but what what it means, um, from my understanding, is that people will kind of show up for work, do the bare minimum. Um, essentially quit on the job and still collect their paycheck. Right. Um, I don't know to what degree that's that's really happening um, in a large scale or for a sustained period of time or to what degree that's sort of the, the latest uh, social media craze. <laughs> so when, 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 we, when we discuss about bare minimum, are we talking about
0: they're just going in and doing the job? They're not kind of like doing overtime. They're not exceeding expectations per se. Um, they're not going beyond... The call of duty. Is
1: that what we're getting at? Is it? But they're still doing their job, though. So yeah, that's again with the, the generous read. I think that's the that's the generous read of of this quiet quitting phenomenon. Is that is that people are going in and exactly doing their job to the letter, but they're not going above and beyond with it. Um, I have a, a book that we're we're gonna get to in a bit. I'm sure on um, <laughs> the career design map, which has these different sections, and one of the sections on that is is something called the contributor. And I think that really applies to this, this idea of like the generous read of quiet quitting and that you're, you're showing up, you're being a member of the team, you're contributing, but you're not raising your hand for additional work or additional assignments. Um, I think what happens in practice is that, is that occasionally people will take this term quiet quitting and then use it to mean, oh, I don't have to show up, I don't have to try, I don't have to do anything, and that doesn't lead to good results, obviously.
0: No, no definitely, not. <laughs> no, definitely not. So let's then talk about a strategy. So in terms of a strategy, what would you suggest or recommend to anybody to have a strategy with their career? I mean, is there any tips or is there any steps you can suggest?
1: So I think it's first important to recognize that everyone needs to think strategically about their career. And by strategically, I mean, stepping back from, these low-level kind of tactical decisions that people so often try to make of, you know, do I want to do this particular type of thing at this particular time? And zooming out and looking at it um, in a really strategic manner of what kind of career do I want to create? Who would I who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to prioritize my personal life, my professional life? What kind of impact do I want to make, and and really thinking it through in in that manner. And I think starting to think through those strategic questions is super important for everyone, especially as there's so much change and flux in the world now.
0: Right. And what about them for mistakes? So, you know, what what type of mistakes would an individual make in in their career strategy? Are we talking about falling out with the management? Are we talking about not looking for promotion? What what type of mistakes do people generally make
1: i think the biggest mistake is not understanding your strategic direction and what what will happen in that is that you'll you'll be running a million miles an hour trying to either you know get ahead get promoted all of that. And you're not taking the time to think, why do I want to be promoted? What? Why do I want to be in this industry? What What impact am I making here? And conversely, you can have that, that kind of quiet quitting phenomenon that we discussed a bit ago of, um, you know, I want to do the least I can. And I don't want to think about how this is going to impact me down the line. So I think having a really clear, crystallized understanding of what you want to be doing strategically with your career is just so critical.
0: Right. And do, see has any, say, clients come to you sharing the disappointment where they have put their life and soul into a job, and they have worked exceeding the hours, exceeding the expectations, and then they've been laid off, for example, or they've had a pay reduction? how how do you think they may feel? Do, do, are they hard to motivate those individuals again going into different careers because they've they put everything their heart and soul into a job and they haven't it hasn't been reciprocated from the employer or the company? How can they manage that if they're progressing to a different job?
1: It, it definitely happens and it happens a lot where people will really be pouring all they have into a job. And then there's elements of this that are out of their control where, yeah, they'll be laid off. They'll be um, not given that promotion. And what that moment is, is the perfect moment for working with a coach because it's a reset point where you can stop being on that treadmill of higher, better, faster, more. And you can say, what do I really want? And if you can get that crystallized and then put an action plan in place and start moving toward what you really want to be doing, that can be one of the most powerful moments in coaching.
0: The the term, uh, Dan, family, you know, welcome to the family in terms of a company. and uh, This is me being cynical again. I do apologize. But um, <laughs> is is that term now kind of being overused? Because I, I don't know. My family, in fairness, they wouldn't um, – Although they might want to get rid of me, but after years of looking after them, I don't think they would. But should we be as an employee be more realistic to realise that you're you're never part of the family. You're 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 part of a team, so to speak. But if the work is not good, or you 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 don't fit in anymore, that maybe you're no longer part of that family. How how does an individual then cope
1: cope with that? I, I think you're spot on with thinking of it as a team instead of a family. And it's a you know a group of people coming together to work toward a common purpose. And if you are better positioned to work toward a different common purpose with another team, um, that's probably something you should pursue. If this is what you wanna be working on, um, then you should be eyes wide open about um, you know, this is an organization. They generally are there to either make that impact or make that profit, depending on the setup. And that structure of that team is is really um, going to be dictated by are you contributing to that that impact that purpose? Then all of these other political dimensions that are sometimes out of your control. Right. Um, but yeah, that that idea of a uh, uh, work as a family, I think, is something you have to be very careful about.
0: Yeah. That's it. No, I, I, I've i fell into that trap many years ago. Um, you're part of the family. You really are. And I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden, I was laid off. So I kind of went, hmm. Okay, that's kind of interesting because you 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 feel at the time you're important. You're 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 part of the group. And then and then when when something like that happens, you kind of you kind of go, oh, okay. But you have to pick yourself up again. And that's why we're chatting about this today. And um, you're the expert at this. What about then reskilling? So, same example, right? For the last 20 years, you're working in position A, right? You're in IT, for example, and you've done nothing to upskill, reskill, or look for opportunities to grow. Um, is that important to always constantly be looking at bettering yourself and upskilling yourself, possibly
1: also in different industries? It definitely is, and especially as we accelerate this departure from the industrial era into this new knowledge economy, innovation economy, fourth industrial revolution, whatever you want to call it. There's so much more change happening and so much more of a need to constantly be ahead of the curve of what do I want to be focused on next? How can I get those skills Um it's sometimes through formal education, it's sometimes through your own online research, it's sometimes through networking with people, it's sometimes through on the job learning, but whatever way you approach it, how can you be constantly reskilling, upskilling, leveling up your skills for that next thing coming down the pike?
0: The, the education part, Dan, uh, I mean, in today's world, you know is it important or as important now, obviously anybody that's listening to this this is just an opinion so um, or or a discussion um, and especially it's not to dis or upset anybody that spent four years in college or six years in college it's just trying to get an understanding of is it important to have a degree these days and go to college for five or four or five years get a master's degree and um, is that still important do you think
1: I think it really depends on your career aspirations and sincerely thinking through what those are and does that require a degree, does it require an advanced degree. Um, You know, if somebody says they want to be a doctor or a lawyer, obviously you need to get advanced schooling. Um, If you want to be in the business world in corporations and you want to be in the type of corporations that really value an MBA, maybe that's a worthwhile investment. Um, If you want to be an engineer, there's obviously schooling that's needed there. Uh, For everyone else, I think it has to really be a value calculation of in the suite of activities I could be involved in to advance my career, to advance my knowledge um, is this the right pathway? Is the investment in this worth the trade-off? Right. And really thinking that through clearly and much less on that, um, you know, you have to go to an Ivy League no matter what and spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for every single thing, or else your your career will be off the rails. And I think that that part is definitely less and less true as as advances.
0: It is then like for experience, or say for example, you have an individual that may have 20 years experience in a certain area, but they don't have a degree um, compared to an individual that have, has no experience, but they do have a degree. How then would you work with somebody um, or how, do, how would you say an employer looks at that now? Because are a lot of those vacations based on, um, ATS is a scanning the scanning application forms before uh, our CVs before they get to the next stage. So does does ex- that experience count, do you think?
1: So I think it I think it really does count, and I think experience definitely matters. And you're seeing a movement aw- away from um, needing to have the degree. And a lot of this is born out of the, the DEIA. Um, movement as well of of recognizing that not everyone needs a bachelor's degree for every job that doesn't require it. Um, So a lot more organizations are looking at these equivalencies and substituting in years of experience for education. Um, There is some benefit to having recent education and perhaps fewer years of experience too. Um, You know, if you're learning something that's really cutting edge and it hasn't been around for that long and a lot has changed, that, that education can be really valuable. So overall, I think it really just matters what you really want to be doing, what kind of organizations you're looking at, what do they value in candidates, and are you being smart about how you're approaching it with um, either applying without a degree or in applying with a degree but without the, the requisite years of experience that you might think is needed for it and just really thinking that through.
0: Right, and so let's move on into what about networking? I have to say, Dan, I do cringe when I have to network, and I—I I mean this with anybody, with all due respect—that I might send a little message out to, and hi, how are you? I haven't spoken to you in you know fifteen years. Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you have you any jobs? I see you're advertising this job now, and I just feel it's very, for me personally, it's very kind of. Ugh, cringy. Um, how, well, first of all, first part of the question is, how important is it to network? And is it important as part of the career strategy? And have you any tips of how you can network without coming across as, as I
1: mentioned, cringy? <laughs> it's really important to network continuously and authentically and not transactionally. So this idea of I'm going to wait until I'm laid off looking for a job and then I'm going to start reaching out to people from 15 years ago that I haven't yeah. talked to since then <laughs> is really cringy. Right?
0: <laughs> it's really cringy. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and, you know, you
1: gotta, and you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do when you're in that that type of a situation. But yeah. what I always advise is that the the far better approach and both for effectiveness and for maintaining relationships and growing relationships is to, always be networking in an authentic, value-added way. So, for example, just having it be part of your practice to keep up with former coworkers that you really liked working with. And you call them catch up, and it's not, you know, I saw this job opening at, the, at your company can you refer me into that specific job opening? It's much more of, you know, how are things going? What, you know, what, where are you, what are you up to now? Where are you living now? Um, how's the family? Um, and you just keep up, you see what, what they're up to over the years and you keep and maintain those relationships. And then if and when there's a situation where you're looking for employment or if they know what you're up to recently and they trust you and know you and they see an opportunity for you um, that they feel comfortable to reach out and make the introductions and bring you into that. It's it's much less of that sort of career fair, hotel ballroom networking, and it's much more of the just being a good person, developing, maintaining relationships, and that will actually end up getting you much further than, than the previous one.
0: Right, so having the excuse that my mobile phone network was down for 15 years is not acceptable now. So the- <laughs> <laughs> so there's no excuse now because we have 5G, 4G, all these Gs. And uh, yeah, that's usually my excuse. But anyway, we'll, mo- we'll move swiftly on. So we'll move back then to even more cringy stuff. What about, um, now I'm saying cringy on my behalf. Obviously, you're here as a professional career coach. Um, so you know more about this than what I do. So professional branding. So we see websites out there like LinkedIn, for example, and um I'm gonna try and make this as humorous as possible where you have an individual has said, you know, I've saved 15 dogs from whatever, um, and they post a picture of it, or you know, I've I've contributed so many, so much money to charity or something. Is that is that a turn off for companies? I mean, is self-praise not a a turn off for companies, or is this what we should be doing? Should we be highlighting that, you know? we've done this or we've done that or we've gone out on a team event or we've helped rescue some puppies or, you know, trying to get it. Is that the norm these days?
1: I, I think it really comes down to authenticity, authenticity. again. So yeah. if you've done something that is noteworthy, then you should definitely feel free to share that. And you should be encouraged to share that if you're making up stuff to appear that you're this noble and virtuous person (laughs) and that's obviously (laughs) cringy, right (laughs) Um, so i think it really comes down to that um the the book has this um spectrum of career advancement that um is really correlated to your self-confidence and then the confidence of relevant stakeholders and that that being what drives career advancement and it's important that when it's too low, when when your self-confidence is too low and when the confidence of those around you is too low, that you're not going to be advancing in your career. Um, So at that point, you should be really putting yourself out there as much as possible and trying to get noticed as much as possible, Um, talk to as many people as you can, really get yourself out there. Um, So you might want to lean more on this public facing brand building than you would if you were perhaps further advanced in your career when doing more of that um, on the other end of the spectrum is actually detrimental when people can see you as bragging, as arrogant. Um, so it it really depends on where you are in your career trajectory as well as to how much of that self-promotion makes sense to do.
0: Right. Oh, okay. Um, so pretty much don't make up stuff. Just keep it as natural as possible and, uh, you know, don't make out, that you're doing something that may not be a continuing. What about volunteering? I mean, is volunteering a, a thing that we'd like to see?
1: I, I, I always think volunteering is a great thing to do. And the more you can volunteer for a longer duration, for something where your specific skills are really making a difference and for something that will benefit the people you're volunteering with and will also help you to build new skills, new connections, all of that, the better. I think that's so much different than these sort of one-off, one-day volunteering engagements that are basically just there for you to then go and brag about. Um, So if you can, you know, if you're volunteering for a year and you're tutoring kids and you're really helping them learn and grow, I think that's a very different um, activity than like a one-day kind of showy um, thing that you can post on social media.
0: Right. Is there anything then that turns off companies in your experience? I mean, that as, as, as a company ever said to you, when you're dealing with clients, like we don't like this or we don't like that, um, if somebody's posting this. I mean, because you hear about it? Like, you know, be careful what you post on social media because you don't want to obviously upset the brand of the company or you don't want to upset other individuals. Um so, uh, anything specific that maybe an individual shouldn't post or shouldn't brand themselves on, in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's being careful to not have a, a you know unnecessarily controversial brand if you're looking to be in more traditional organizations. Um, that's not always the case. I mean, there's a lot of people who have very controversial brands, but then it's, it's tricky if they want to expect to be part of a very state established conservative type of an organization. Right. I think the, the real key is that the hiring managers are very often um, bringing their individual preferences to this. So it really depends on whose team you're joining, what their preferences are. Obviously there'll be some cultural elements from the organization, um, but really having a good sense of what that person is, is valuing. And I, I always advocate for not just doing these blind applications to job postings online. Um, that can be part of your strategy, but people way overuse it. And most of your strategy should really be in that continuous networking with people who know you or trust you either personally or through other um, folks who you've worked with in the past, and just having that that long-term relationship building is so much better than trying to just apply to the jobs online and hoping that you don't offend them with your other social media posts.
0: Do you think, Dan, it's a good idea to put a cover letter with every application, which is specific then to the company that you're applying for, rather than, as you said yourself, you just like, well, is it on LinkedIn you have as a quick apply on LinkedIn? Or easy yeah, the easy
1: apply feature, yeah.
0: So, I mean, would that be a turnoff for then some companies? Are you, are you better off? I mean, what about even contacting the HR people um, in that company? So you're interested in a job in company X or Y and or Z or whatever, and they they you find a HR manager or a HR representative team on LinkedIn. Do you think it's a good idea to reach out? Or are we in that world again where they talk about canvassing and you can't do those type of things and must go through the proper you know, route and the format of the company? What do you think?
1: So I think it, it can't hurt to reach out to the recruiter on, on LinkedIn. Even better than that is to really take the time to develop these long-term trusted relationships with people you've worked with and then have that warm introduction into a leader who's hiring an organization that's hiring. And that is just so much more effective than trying to do the easy apply on LinkedIn and hoping that it'll get through. Sometimes it works, but I've really found that people spend way too much time on that and not nearly enough time on that real trusted relationship building aspect of it. Um, As for the cover letter, I think that people are getting much more annoyed with, the need for a cover letter right. um, if the job requires it and it takes 5 or 10 minutes and you know with all of this new technology you can you know chat gpt even people are you know you can generate a draft of a cover letter that you then change and adjust to your format there's there's really no excuse to not do it if you are submitting the application um, but I, I do think it's going away um very slowly as as a requirement. It's just not as necessary as it once was. It's interesting. you mentioned ChatGPT because I've been using that
0: um recently to try it out. and it's kind of interesting Dan because i I had looked at a um, I had used, copied in and pasted a you know the keywords from an application as an example. I just wanted to see what ChatGPT did. And I asked ChatGPT to write me a cover letter for, say, Company X. And I press it, enter, and then 40 seconds later, out it came, this wonderful letter. I mean, wonderful, that it was so wonderful, it wasn't me, you know what I'm trying to get it. It was, it came up with these wonderful words and descriptions and stuff like that. That's so much so, um, it felt like if if an individual like myself was applying for a position, it doesn't come across as me so how how then i mean would an individual be in that situation better going to you because it's more authentic and more realistic than an ai system
1: yeah so it's it's um my my personal kind of coaching is not on the resume and the cover letter and stuff i tend to work with people who already have a good sense of their resume and how to make a cover letter and all of that. They're they're much more already in leadership positions and they're looking at what do they want to do strategically in their current position for their next role. And it's much more on that networking front and much less on that sort of cold application front. Um, I do think for that particular example of that cover letter, um, it has to sound like you. And it has to be something that you, you feel good about submitting. uh, So I would never advocate for, you know, just putting it into chat GPT and then using (laughs) what what it spits out. Um, Where where it is helpful is getting essentially like a shell of a cover letter. A lot of people just have a lot of trouble getting started with things. And if you can generate a, a shell and then just go through and make it your own and make sure that it makes sense and sounds like you then that's a great way to do it. Um, I think if people are applying to a ton of jobs, it can be really tedious to change every single cover letter to match every single job, and that's where a tool like that can be really helpful in in helping you basically tweak what you have into these various
0: formats. So, okay, I'm going to twist this question then, so in relation to what I asked you already. So in terms of your clients that you work with in leadership roles, if they were, so what would you suggest to them, if they were to receive this cover letter I mentioned or this CV I mentioned, which was just amazing. It was just ChatGPT 100%. Um, how would you suggest to them um, to find out whether this candidate is is who they are and it's a worth kind of bringing forward to the table?
1: It's a great question. And that's, that's again where Knowing your industry well, knowing people you can um, really trust, who you can check with on, is this person the real deal, um, is so important. And I think it would be foolish to, as a hiring manager, just take the shiny pieces of paper and say, okay, this this must be a great person because they gave me two shiny pieces of paper. Okay. and It's so important to keep that in mind as the job applicant as well of, you know, job, job, um, hiring managers, Know about ChatGPT, obviously. Um, they know about all of the they, different formats. They do now, Dan. They do now. And we've, we've let it out. We've let it out. <laughs> sorry, guys. sorry, your,
0: your secret's all out now. Back to basics now with your CV. Yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I, I do think it's really important to recognize just how much that's going to mean for resumes and CVs being so much less important than they ever were. Um, and that personal, deep foundation in show, showcasing your value, having these relationships, doing this networking is just going to be exponentially more valuable as everyone in the world can click a few buttons and have a great <laughs> CV with, full of embellishments and can you know, have a great cover letter full of embellishments. And then it really it clears away some of that fluff and comes down to is this person the real deal and will they be a good addition to my team? And that's just so important for both sides to be recognizing of that's the real crux of the decision.
0: It's, it is fascinating. I mean, the the words that ChatGPT spewed out was just, I was just like, wow. What do these words mean? I had no idea. <laughs> like,
1: it it's really it's really astounding what it can do, and it's only gonna get better. It's only been going strong for a few months now, and you know, it's just gonna keep getting better and becoming much more powerful. So yeah, that yeah. that real realness and authenticity is gonna be in high demand, um, even more so than it is now.
0: It'll be important, as you said, moving forward. Quick question before we move on to the, the other question. Um do you think in your own opinion, on the social media platforms, uh, photograph-wise, say, for example, LinkedIn, you have your little profile pic, um, passport style or kind of real you or fun? What would you suggest? So if a hiring manager was logging into, say, your LinkedIn profile, for example, or one of the, the uh, employment platforms, and they see seen this picture top left-hand side and it's you jumping out of the plane or it's, it's you you know horse riding or whatever it is and um, is that more likable than a on a straight body straight face no smile photograph
1: my personal opinion is somewhere in the middle um gotcha. so probably um a professional photo that's not you know no smiling looking straight into the camera <laughs> purposely, you know <laughs>
0: Are they happy? Are they not happy? You know, I've always always wondered that it because it depends on who you speak to. Some say that, you know, you don't even put your age on your on your profile or your CV or, or, so it's, it's very difficult to know, um, uh, sometimes what, what employers want. But then again, it probably depended on the company culture themselves. So you'll only find that out as you progress through the, uh, the uh, application side. Okay. Let's move on to a bit of nitty gritty here then, Dan. So you've fallen out with your employer and, For some unknown reason, you've had a disagreement, you have an argument, you're either with them a few months or you're with them a year or 10 or 20 years. And you have all this experience, you've left under a dark cloud and you're finding it difficult to get work after. Um, Firstly, how can you build up your confidence? And secondly, how can you reignite your career? Is it possible to start again?
1: Definitely possible to start again and there's there's no alternative really at that point of you have um, to move on. giving up <laughs> giving up entirely with your yeah. life and career. Get off um, the black list. get off the black ball list, that's it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um so that's... a few a few things. So I think leading up to that moment, that's that's another reason it's so critical to have these um, long-standing trusted relationships with people you've worked with from a variety of organizations from years past from your university from your um, family connections from everywhere and just keeping a keeping a really broad network of folks you keep in touch with so that you're not beholden to one single boss or one single company and being the be all and all of your professional reputation and that's just such a dangerous position to put yourself in. Oh yeah. <laughs> just, just with one person who is, who is uh, essentially controlling your professional reputation. So is, the more, there, you can, is there a way yeah,
0: down like, in it? So you have a falling out with your employer. Is there a way kind of to fall in love with them again? I mean, do you, like with months down the road, does time heal and your experience can time heal or is it like it's over? It's over.
1: You know, I think it, it's so it's so situation dependent and so there's yeah. there's some things that obviously can't you know you can't come back from um, on that it's depending on how the relationship ended and that that might be a situation where you can't um, in general I don't think it rises to these extremes too often I think sometimes it just won't be the right fit and if for either side and if you can end that position, as cordially as possible, even if that means that you have to quit with some notice and look elsewhere, even if that means you get laid off because the budget got reduced or because you're not performing um, well, keeping those relationships intact as much as possible is always a good idea if it comes to you know, something really egregious that, that goes against your values that you can't abide by having a relationship with that employer, with that boss, um, then again, this is just why having that broad, varied network is so important. So you can pick yourself back up and go to somewhere that really aligns with your values.
0: That's a, that's a great answer. I mean, um, I'm going to put a bit of humor into that one is that just don't do what I do. Just don't say your network is down for 15 years. <laughs> just you know, reach out to people and be nice about it. Don't be fake. and <laughs> Don't be transactional. And, in case you have that one day where i forty you've lost your job um at least you have somebody that will uh will back you up as funny as it might seem, but it's it's uh, you're you're one hundred percent true um okay, Dan, let's move on to the business side, so you're the author of the career design map, so can you explain what the book is about and and how can it help others
1: yeah so it's it's a book that I wrote because As we move into this new era of economy, away from the industrial era, into this innovation economy, everyone in my generation who I was working with, and this millennial cohort that that I work with, really understands well that they have to be super adaptable and flexible. They know that what they're doing for work in five years might not even exist yet. They know that they can't just put their head down and try to climb the corporate ladder step-by-step step and expect to come up with a gold watch on retirement right. <laughs> um what they what they weren't recognizing is how do you do that and be uniquely yourself and do what you want to be doing create the career you want to create um and those two desires to be both adaptable and purposeful were seemingly in contrast for them. And that's why I created the Career Design Map. So what the book presents is a framework. It basically has an X-axis and a Y-axis. The X-axis, as I've alluded to, is career advancement. Um, Just very basically that's that confidence in yourself and from relevant stakeholders, you can be too low in that, which is that invisibility element. Um, So this is when no one's noticing you. You can be too high in that, which is the arrogance element, which is when you're surrounding yourself with yes people, and you're not learning and growing. Um, The y-axis is leadership. So basically, you can be too low on leadership, where you're not working with others toward a common purpose. And you can be too high on leadership, um, which is what I call burnout, which is when you're shouldering the whole organization on your back. Um, when you're too low on leadership, that's the disengagement um, section of the map. And then within the map, there's this balanced sweet spot where you get to create the career that you want and look at these segments from that strategic level, from that high level. So basically has the contributor, which I've mentioned before, which is that, you know, I want to work to live. I have family, friends, hobbies, other priorities that are more important than grinding away at the office. And I'm going to do enough to show up and be a valuable member of the team. Um, You have the go-getter, which is above that on leadership, which is when you're really going above and beyond on leadership, not to the level where you're burned out and miserable, but where you're going above and beyond, you're working extra hours, you're taking on extra projects, extra assignments. Um, To the right of the contributor is what I call expert. So this is someone who is really advanced in their career. They have a lot of um, technical knowledge, expertise. They're highly compensated, um, but they're still more of an individual contributor than a leader. And then that final quadrant. Um, of the meaningful four career types is what I call the executive. So that's when you have this real sweet spot of both leadership and career advancement, and they're both higher um, end for both career and leadership. And if you want to be leading organizations and really having a um, advanced career, then that's the quadrant you want to get to. That's not to say that any of the others don't make sense. You just have to choose where you want to go and then it informs your strategic decisions and then further on down your tactical choices and actions to move in that direction.
0: And is this coaching, is it, um, or career development leadership development, is this continuous, Dan, or is it specific to say um, you do it for, aside from the book itself, but if you're, if you're meeting with clients Um, or organizations is your coaching say a five-day course a seven-day course or is it continuous development
1: so different coaches have different approaches a lot of people will do those sort of boot camp packages where it's we're going to go hard on a five-day you know refresh your resume and all this kind of stuff that's not my kind of coaching, I know people who do that and I'm happy to refer clients to them. Mine is much more of that really hands-on, long-term partnership with clients and they're generally already in strong leadership roles. And it's, uh, I call it all in with them, where uh, for a a monthly fee, I have some transparent flat monthly fees, I'm there for whatever you need that would benefit you in terms of coaching conversations. So if that's, you want to do the um, one weekly one hour coaching conversation or a bi-weekly one hour coaching conversation, that's great. If you have this big proposal that you're putting together and you want someone to workshop it with, we can sit down for three hours and do that. If you're slammed this week and you want a 10 minute call, we can do a 10 minute call. So um, yeah, I basically offer, virtually unlimited coaching i call it through my practice but that's not to say that that's the only approach that works it's just if if that's the kind of leader you are and that's the kind of support you're looking for then we should definitely talk and is this open to
0: say um is this global so is it done in person or is it mainly virtually or is it a bit of a yeah
1: that? so it's so it's all virtually, um, nothing opposed to, to meeting in person. So if people wanted to come down to a beautiful Jamaica plane and meet up in person, happy to do that. Um, and, and get a pair of yeah, New Balance I, shoes. Yeah, Exactly, that's right? Walk around in some, some fresh
0: shoes. <laughs> in, in promotion there for New
1: Balance. Hello, New Balance. Am joking? Sorry. <laughs> exactly, right? We have a new sponsor for the podcast. So... Uh, yeah, so if, I, I, I work um, virtually exclusively um, online now. So I'll do video conferencing, um, phone calls with uh, clients. I have clients all over the world. Um, a lot of them are in you know, the DC area or in New York, but I, I do have a smattering of international um, clients. And again, it's really that all in partnership um, with them. That's, that's really critical to me in the way that I like to play with this. And I find that it's really valuable for the people who are looking for that kind of partnership.
0: Right. And, and where else are you on social media? Are you on all the LinkedIn's and the Instagram's and all that type of stuff?
1: So I, I keep it to just LinkedIn, really, for social media. So I'm, I'm LinkedIn. I'm at Dan Freeling, um, F-R-E-E-H-L-I-N-G. Um, and then people can also go to Contempus Leadership. That's the name of my coaching practice, C-O-N-T-E-M-P-U-S leadership.com. And they can learn all about the book and take the free career design quiz and learn all about my background and coaching services there.
0: I have one more question to ask you, Dan, before we go, but I probably probably mix it too. In a simplistic way, what is a millennial?
1: Yeah, so it's basically uh a generation that is currently in our late 20s to early 40s a lot of people think it's just means you know college kids or young people or something that's right. not the case anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's late 20s to early 40s it makes up 35 percent of the u.s workforce um makes up only eight percent of coaches so oh, it's nice. this huge portion of the workforce that is drastically underserved in terms of partnership um from a leadership and career perspective and yeah those are those are my um clients that I work the most with not to say that I don't work with clients of other age groups or any of that but that's that's really where I focus my time
0: and do they like to be known as millennials is it like you know a, a funky kind of hip way of kind of recognizing them or is it just that's just the way it is
1: So I think it's I think it's more just the way it is. And um, in general, I think it's more it's more just um, really understanding people as individuals and not as part of this broader group and working with them in partnership, recognizing that they're already in leadership roles a lot of the time, and they're already very accomplished. And it's really that that one on one, what do you want to really do next? And how can we get you there?
0: Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Dan. Uh, once the podcast has been approved and released, I'll put all the links in uh, for Dan's uh, LinkedIn page, his one and only, and uh, his uh, website, campusleadership.com <laughs> uh, So also let me say thank you so much to uh, Dan Feeling for chiming today on the Wellbeing and Corruption Podcast. Thanks, Dan.
1: Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate it.